We are in our second week of this series we are calling Midwinter Midwifery, the sense that God is birthing new things in us, even in the midst of winter. And I'm I'm glad to be able to, to share it with you this morning. Let me start out by telling a story. So when I was in college, I went with my youth and college group on a trip to Colorado Springs. We were we were actually going to a youth and college conference at a very well-known mega church. That's all I'll say. And um, and I, and and for who I was during that time of life, I, I rather enjoyed it. It was pretty meaningful to me. But we had a plan uh, to take a day off and go out into nature and experience nature because it's Colorado Springs because it's not central freaking Texas. Uh, it's beautiful up there. The weather's nice. And our leader, our youth leader said, we're going to go to the Garden of the Gods. And I'd never heard of this place before. I'm like, the Garden of the Gods? Oh, it must be incredible. He's like, yeah, it's incredible. It's going to be the most incredible nature experience you've ever had. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. And I mean, he talked it up. But we, we took a, a, a charter bus up there. He talked it up the whole time while we were driving up there, leading up to it, driving up the mountain from our hotel up to it. He's talking, it's going to be so great, blah, blah. So we get there. And the first thing that happens before we are allowed to get off the bus is a park ranger gets on to address us all. I guess he heard there's a, there's a, a bus load of, you know, high schoolers and college students um, coming into his park. I don't, I don't know why. Somehow he gets on there, and three times, three times before we're allowed to depart the bus, he says to us, "You have to stay on the sidewalk." We were reminded of the park policies multiple times. We were threatened. He told us, "You're going to damage nature if you get off the sidewalk." you're going to be bitten by snakes, rattlesnakes, you're going to get lost, you're going to wind up dehydrated, and then you're going to damage nature, and then you're going to get lost, and then you're going to die, and then your body's going to be bitten by snakes. Don't get off the sidewalk, not even one step. So we get off the bus, and sure enough, there's a concrete sidewalk right there, and we spent the next two hours in what was supposed to be this glorious place walking on a sidewalk. And I probably could have enjoyed the scenery from the sidewalk. I probably could have. If, like, my head wasn't so full of this park ranger being so aggressive about never stepping off the concrete. That's all I could think about. And I'm sure... I'm sure he had good intentions and he was doing his job to keep people safe and protect the rock formations for future generations and all of that institutional wariness and memory, you know, somehow it had become codified into policies that seemed to destroy the very purpose of experiencing the beauty of nature that day. We couldn't get off the sidewalk and I couldn't enjoy this place, the garden of the gods. So, as I said, we're in this series, Midwinter Midwifery, or the idea that 
in this winter season, God is likely at work birthing something new in your life. Is anyone feeling that? Does anyone feel like there's something new going on in here? There, there are some, some seeds that their shells have cracked open from all the winter moisture, and something small is happening in here. Anyone, I, I, I just invite you, make a comment if so. I'm, I'm just curious if that resonates with any of you. Uh, and I do want to mention, Fran's sermon last week was amazing as she introduced this series for us. Uh, using a lot of the divine feminine imagery for us of the midwife and God as midwife in our lives. Make sure you make sure you listen to Fran's sermon. But I want to offer some thoughts <clears throat> on some of the opposition that you may encounter as you find yourself responding to these new things that God is doing in your life. So believe it or not, these little bundles of joy that are percolating and growing and germinating in here, uh, these new things God is prompting inside you, they will not always be welcomed with open arms in this world. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Anybody resonate with that? In the text <clears throat> that Joyce read for us a moment ago, Jesus lands in a place. Jesus crosses over the sea, uh, which you'll notice if you read the Gospels, something Something significant always happens as soon as Jesus crosses over a body water. So he crosses over, and all of a sudden, all the sick in the region flock to him. And they're brought to him, and they're healed immediately. But there's this problem, the text tells us. Rituals are not being followed. Religious rituals and practices and standards and SOPs, standard operating procedures, are not being respected. And the text says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. They don't do the ritual purification that they're supposed to do before they eat. They don't follow the right religious rituals. In other words, why do they get off the sidewalk? We have these rules. You stay on the sidewalk. Now, let me be clear. I'm not against rituals. Not at all. I've seen how a good ritual can ground us or root us. Ritual is so important to this community, to the community of peace, that it's one of the five areas that we focus in on our baptism catechism, which some of our kiddos are going through starting today, but it's one of the five core areas that we say is, is really important to the Christian life, ritual. I've seen how ritual can center us and stabilize us in our most important moments. I've been at the bedside at the hospital when a matriarch passes away and the family goes into an absolute frenzy, not knowing what to do, and I'm standing in the midst of this tornado and I say, hey, everyone, would it be okay if we pause and we gather around her and we hold hands and we offer a prayer of thanksgiving for this life? And whoosh, everything changes in a moment as soon as I bring us back to this ritual of prayer, ritual of holding hands and gathering around a loved one. Immediately, the environment changes. I've been called into postpartum 
rooms in the hospital to baptize babies at times because ritual is important because ritual weaves us into this invisible but no less real garment for our souls and our psyches and parents want their babies to live with this reminder to be woven into this invisible garment that they have been born into to cover their being ritual does that for us but sometimes like i'm saying god births something new in us and the patterns of behavior the rituals of this world that we're used to they no longer fit Many in this community, many in the community of peace, have taken their faith and their spirituality in a different direction than some people would have liked them to do. God is birthing something new in them, a new awareness, a new passion, a new way of working for the wholeness of their little slice of the world, and this isn't well-received. You hear things like, we didn't teach you to interpret the Bible that way. That's not how we brought you up. That's not how we do things. We don't associate with those kind of people. You need to stay on the sidewalk. And Aurelia Friend and I have had members of this community reach out to us with heavy and broken hearts at times, saying that their love for God and for neighbor and for creation is at an all-time high. It's the strongest that it's ever been. And so is the disdain that they get from family and friends and church members. And this is creating such incredible dissonance for them. I have never felt closer to God and more alive and more passionate and more like I'm responding to the call I have in this world. And I've never faced so much opposition from people in the church. They're both at all time highs. And after lamenting with them for a while about that, because that is a grief journey, we talk about how they were taught to radically love and follow Jesus by this community. And now that's what they're doing. And that's what's getting them in trouble. And the irony of that, and they're at this fork in the road. Will they be obedient to the rituals and paradigms of their community? Or will they be obedient to following this passion for Jesus? I'm thinking of the Jordans right now. Joel's on this morning. I, I know they've gone through this journey. I know so many in this community have gone through that journey. But this is my first point. Sometimes when you actually decide to work with God to birth new things through you into this world, you will get in trouble. That's just how it is. People won't like it. That's just how it is. Our text says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came from Jerusalem. They came all the way from Jerusalem. I don't know who called these guys in from out of town, these experts. Uh, and I don't know who said Pharisees and teachers of the law, you two have some significant theological differences, but you need to get together and you need to load up in the church van and you need to drive all the way across the county um, because you got to get over here and tell Jesus what he is doing wrong. And that's what they do. They mean to indict him and put an end, put an end to all this free health care and free food and free forgiveness from God that he is just giving away for free. We, we can't do it that way. Uh, it's pretty hard to find fault with these things. Um, so they decide to get him on a technicality. You can't really find fault with like healing people, feeding people, caring for people, you know, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally liberating people. But you can get somebody on a technicality, and that's what they do. 
And for the record, uh, this is what it's like when you live in a disembodied, rigid, dehumanized, theobureaucratic hell. And I don't mean that as a swipe at Judaism. I mean that as a swipe at any human system that is so enamored with its own rules that it's illegal or unethical or uncouth to respond to what God is birthing in you, to respond to God's liberating work in your life, to partner with God in healing the world. We still have these systems today. If you look around and you don't have to look very hard, it's like when the border patrol make it illegal to leave gallons of water for migrants in the desert because that's considered littering. This literally happens. People literally get arrested for leaving gallons of water in the desert to try to, to, try to stop people from becoming dehydrated and lost and die in the desert as they are trying to migrate. That's illegal to leave water. Or it's like when I was at my high school job at HEB and every night we had to throw away all the leftover cooked foods, put them in a sealed trash compactor so people wouldn't try to get them out and eat. Um, because again, I'll use my phrase, I like it so much. This is what it's like to live in a disembodied, rigid, dehumanized, theobureaucratic hell. I say theobureaucratic because it's not just about, you know, a bureaucracy needing uniformity and processes and control, but it has this veneer of divine judgment and religious morality slapped on top of it to make it where you can't challenge it. And we see that in the text. The way the Gospel of Mark tells this story, this very same story, it says the Pharisees and all the Jews do this ritualistic hand washing. Why don't your disciples do the rituals before eating like they're supposed to? Whoa, all? Really all? All the Jews? All 100% of them? Oh, you mean all the real Jews do the rituals? Or you mean all the Jews that God likes do the rituals, right? And so in response, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah to them. And Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he ties it to this funny accounting practice that they have come up with, where they give some of their assets, some of their money to the temple, so they don't have to use that money to financially support family members. Technically, they're right but they have so significantly missed the heart and the intent of God's law that they are functionally wrong. And this is my second point. As I'm trying to respond to the new things that I sense God doing in my life and calling me to do, I would rather be functionally right or directionally right. I'm headed in the right direction than to only be technically right. I've checked all the right boxes. I've made sure I'm not breaking any rules. I've made sure I can't be indicted. I've made sure to play it safe. I'm technically right, but I'm missing the entire point and intent. I am functionally completely off base. I would rather practice a bold love imperfectly than perfectly maintain a soulless correctness. One of my favorite lines from the reformer Martin Luther was when he wrote that Christians have the responsibility to love God and to sin 
boldly. We have the responsibility, love God, sin boldly. And now from here, Jesus goes on into a discourse about the human heart. It's really fascinating. This is the direction he goes. Uh, In this passage, he doesn't aim the bulk of his criticism at tradition or the Pharisees or the elders or hand-washing or any of it. He turns his, for some reason, and it's really fascinating, his criticism to the human heart. Eleven times he mentions the human and the human heart. I'm certainly not one of those humans are totally depraved kind of people. That's, That's not my theology. I don't believe that. I think it's wrong. But what I hear Jesus saying here in this text is that if we're not careful, there is something about us that takes a good tradition, a good incentive, a good goal, a good act, and we morph it into something that entirely misses the point. There's something about us that God might be doing something new and amazing and beautiful and life-giving in us, and if we're not careful, we can morph that and we can miss the point. We figure out how to look holy and good with our hands and our words and our wallets, but we miss the point with our hearts. We find ways around taking care of people. We fall into patterns and lazy thinking, and we miss the intent. Our minds literally develop grooves and neural pathways that they mindlessly begin to default to, and we lose the curiosity and the capacity and the compassion that birth new realities around us. We call these cognitive biases, right? We call these rules of thumb. They are the concrete sidewalks through the garden of the gods if we're not careful. And I think Jesus here is giving us this warning. You know, the Pharisees come to him and they're like, you don't do the rituals. You can't be doing it right. And Jesus looks at it and goes, you know, you have completely missed the point. I'm sure it started out good with God doing something new and great and amazing. And somehow you allowed that to get morphed into something that completely misses the point for what God is doing. And so I offer to you the idea this morning that we have to always be encountering the living God who defies human traditions, the one who is always birthing us into new life, even though those around us don't get it or like it even though it's going to be messy, chaotic, imperfect, even now in the middle of winter when it doesn't seem like things should be sprouting, it is already starting now, even in the middle of whatever you have going on in your life. I want to close this morning by inviting those who want to participate to join in for a little imaginative moment with me. Given all that all that we've talked about this morning, if you want to have a little imaginative moment with me, I'd like to invite you. I'll lead us through a little guided meditation. So if you want to join, I invite you. Take a breath. Find a comfortable sitting position. Let your body sink into what's holding it right now. Let your shoulders relax. They don't have to hold the world up anymore. Just let them relax. Let your arms rest by your side. 
You can close your eyes or keep them open, whatever's most comfortable for you. Begin to notice how your tummy rises and falls with each breath you take effortlessly. Now, imagine with me that you are walking through your favorite landscape, whatever that is, mountains, forest, seaside, desert, you pick. You're walking and you're on a well-worn path, one that you're not supposed to leave. You're on a well-worn path, one you're supposed to stay on. From here, you notice the beauty of nature. From here, you notice how expansive it is. The weather is perfect. The sky is beautiful. And it begins to calm you and your pace begins to slow. You're no longer trying to capture and take it all in. It is beginning to capture you and hold you. The more you behold the beauty around you, the more it beholds you. You feel alive. It would be so nice to linger here. You look over and you see a bench a ways off the path. You have no schedule, you're in no rush. Can you leave the path? Can you go sit on the bench? After pausing for several moments, you decide to do so. You've left the path. You make your way to the bench, each step more freeing. You come into a clearing. It's beautiful. You see new views. You see the distance. So you sit, just being, just breathing. You notice the path is still there. It's not going anywhere. When you're ready, you can return to it. So you turn your attention back to the sanctuary of creation that you have discovered off the path. The colors, the sounds, the sensations against your skin. Inevitably, your mind returns to a challenge you've been going through in your life. Something that's just been gnawing, been below the surface, something you've been carrying with you. It's there too. You wonder 
how those who live in this nature sanctuary around you would solve this problem. These little prophets out in nature, those who don't tax their lives with rules and fear of breaking them. The squirrel, the hawk, the vine, those who are free to move over fences and step off of paths and simply move toward full bellies and sunlight. What do they have to teach you? You notice the wind, the breeze, and you think of those words of Jesus where he says the Spirit of God is like the wind, blowing where it will. That same Spirit lives in you. What wisdom does the wind bring you? The very free Spirit of God. After the right amount of time, you have some clarity, at least another step's worth, a new possibility has been birthed in you, even if it's just a new resolve or a new measure of peace. You look back toward the path. You can take it or not. You notice that there are other ways to get to where you want. So you stand and you take your steps, less burdened, more free, moving in the direction God is calling you, moving toward life. I invite you at this moment to open your eyes if you had them closed. I invite you to take those steps, carrying all that wisdom that you just discovered and carrying along with you that expansive, beautiful, wisdom-filled sanctuary that you are in. And may our God, who is always birthing newness in us, new life, new possibilities, carry you on that journey. Amen.